If you want to open your Bibles to Romans, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we will have some verses up if we can get the PowerPoint up. Uh, there will be some verses on the screen as well. But last week, I preached a message, which was part one, and today is part two, but the message last week was God's answer to racism, and uh, we're dealing with part two today. But since I know some of you weren't here last week, I'm going to preach the last week's message and then the second message, okay? So buckle in, and we're going to be here a while. Actually, no, I'm just going to give you a summary of last week's message real quickly. So, uh, but first of all, you may be wondering, why take two services on this topic? Well, uh, the answer is, uh, in my mind, threefold. One is the prevalence of the problem in discussions throughout our nation. Uh, much of the focus in recent news cycles has brought attention to uh, a controversial teaching in the schools called critical race theory, and that is being and it has been introduced to school systems and uh, young people with impressionable minds uh, uh, are are hearing of, about this topic. And younger and younger ages, uh, children are being exposed to a, a worldview that's contrary to the Word of God and are being challenged to handle these difficult topics. And we as a church have got to address these topics uh, through God's Word, because God's got answers to man's problems. God's got answers to man's problems. And this is a significant problem. So, But as younger people grow older and begin to consider these topics uh, uh, they, more and more, uh, uh, and Sometimes they don't believe the church has the answer, okay? So we need to deal with it. We need to teach what does God had to say about this topic. And I'm particularly concerned about kids that grow up in Christian homes and in the church not knowing a biblical perspective on or in biblical answers on topics such as this. So, in two, this is an opportunity to show that God's Word, the Word of God has the answers to man's problems, including racism. And as Christians, God wants us to bring light to the world. God wants us to bring light to the world as Christians. And uh, we need to have answers. We need to know what God has to say about these. So, when times get dark, Christians should shine the brightest. Okay, and as they point people to Christ through the preaching of God's word, it 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 shines light in a dark world. So when the world is confounded, we must remain grounded in the word of God. Let me say that again: when the world is confounded, we need to be grounded in the word of God. All of us. So the and then three the lessons that we can glean that we can learn through going through. Uh, many topics through, uh, it, we can all learn various uh, things about Christ as we deal with some difficult subjects. Well, last week we looked at the origin of the races. We looked at the origin of races. You know, there's two predominant worldviews in the world. One is uh, the evolution, an evolutionary worldview about the, uh, about the origin of races, and the second is creation. Evolution theory sees man as getting better and better as they continue their evolutionary journey from molecules to man to whatever would must come next while happening over millions of years. In the theory, uh, is man is just another species of, of primate animals. 
It says that orangutans split off from primates, the gorillas, and then chimpanzees, and then us. And uh, the the theories that that's this this split off where human came into existence was some 48 million years ago. Now the more precise scientists will tell you that happened between seven and eight million years ago. So they're really precise on that. Uh, and uh, so scientists uh, try to narrow down the date. But here we got to understand this: this worldview is an enemy to the solution. It is not the creation of the solution or the, or the, the creation or the origin of the problem, but it is an enemy to the answer and to the solution. Okay? So we're going to need to understand that. Uh, the, uh, so we went through how the Bible gives an accurate account of the creation of mankind. How the Bible gives an accurate account of the creation of mankind and the origin of nations and people groups. We saw how man was created in the image of God. Man is created with three parts, a body, soul, and spirit. A body, soul, and spirit. Making us different from the animals. We saw that how after the flood, the only remaining people were Noah and his family. And how through his three sons and the, their wives uh, and his wife, the, the nations began to take shape. And we saw how uh, the God scattered and confused languages at the Tower of Babel. And uh, so we begin to, you can begin to see the, the establishment of the nations and, uh, and uh, various people groups. And uh, one thing that I did not mention is that the People were, were, were scattered, and as they were scattered, and the, the groups became smaller, uh, uh, the genetic material would have been uh, less and limited, okay? So that led to some of the, the physical differences that we see in people. And I want to get too far down that road, but, uh, that, but we can see the distinct characteristics of people groups. Uh, but then we see that, there, then we, that this was the most important thing there's two important things last week. This is one of them that was really important. Is understand this. There is really only one race. There is only one race. Acts 17.26, it says this, and hath, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. They hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. What I'm saying, there's only one race. It's the human race. Then lastly, we dealt with the origins of racist attitudes. Where do racist attitudes come from? Well, we've got to understand this. It's a sin. Racist attitudes is a sin. And the solution uh, to dealing with sin is through repentance. It's through a change of heart. And it's produced, the, the change of heart is produced by the gospel of Christ. And finally, we saw that in the church, this is the second most important part, in the church, we are all equal. In the church, we are all equal. Different, but equal. There is no room for partiality in the church as God is no respecter of persons. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. God looks at a Christian. He looks at us. He does not see the outward. He sees the inward. He sees the blood of Christ. If you're a Christian, He sees you covered in the blood of Christ. And there's, we are one in Christ. There is no divisions in Christ. But today we're going to take a step further and we are going to look at how Jesus, how Jesus raised the standard for all relationships. We're going to look at how Jesus raised the standard for all relationships.
Let me say that again, for all relationships. So we're going to look at two portions of Scripture. Tim already read one of them, which is from a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and the second is a parable, and it's a parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that You gave us Your Word, that Your Word has answers, Lord. I thank You, Lord, that You are not a respecter of persons. There's no partiality in You, Lord. Lord, I thank You for Your Son who died on the cross for all mankind. Lord, I thank You for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I thank You for the love of Christ, Lord. Lord, as we look at how You raise the standard of love, Lord, pray, Lord, that You help me and guide my lips, Lord. And I thank You for it. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, let me quickly deal with critical race theory. I'm not going to spend much time on that, and I'd prefer not to deal with it all at all, but uh, again, uh, we, we all have impressionable minds, and, uh, and young people may think as Christians, as a church, we could be cold-hearted in dealing with this issue uh, when they hear us and they say, we, we, we don't like this theory or that solution or that solution. We can't just say what we don't like without offering what we do what the answer is, what the solutions are. So, uh, so we, so let's look at a definition of uh, CRT. This, this is just a portion of the definition, uh, but it, it's the part that's most concerning to the Christian, and it's this. Um, it says. Adherents generally argue that only those who have themselves suffered the indignity and injustice of discrimination can be the authentic voices of marginalized racial minorities. It, it was that sentence that struck me as a Christian. If you recall last week, if you were here last week, I said I had a little trepidation uh, in dealing with this subject because uh, of I thought, well, should I deal with this subject? Should I preach on this subject? And, uh, and my thoughts were, um, what do I know about uh, victimhood of racism and being on that, that side of it? And so, so should I be dealing with it? Okay, but this, and then God kept impressing on me a verse that I just had up there. It said, preach the word, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The Bible instructs us to preach the word, whether uh, whether it's a it's a whether you think it's a comfortable time, a good time, or that. Time. It doesn't say to this group or that group. Or it just says preach the word. That was what Paul wrote to Timothy. He says preach the word. So I begin to work in my heart. Just preach the word. Well, why does that matter? Well, look back to that definition. Adherents generally argue that only those who have themselves suffered the uh, indignity and justice discrimination can be the authentic voices of marginalized racial minorities. I understand that. With those that have experienced similar suffering, okay, have a different perspective than those that haven't experienced that suffering. But remember, the verse said, preach the word. It's not my opinion. Okay? What am I saying? I'm saying this. No one has suffered any more injustice than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered the greatest injustice to mankind that's ever existed. 
It's His Word that we're preaching. It's not my opinion. Okay? If it was my opinion, I'd say throw it out. This is God's Word. Okay? It's His Word. It'd be unloving and prejudicial for me not to preach the Word to all. So, uh, so, so when I read this definition, I see a problem. It's, it's, it, it, it silences. It's not my voice I'm concerned about. It's Jesus' voice. Jesus' voice is what we need to be listening to. All these other voices, no matter what injustice any of us have incurred, we all experience injustice. It hurts. It's tough. But we all got to get in tune to Jesus' voice. It's His voice. We cannot tune out His voice. So whoever's preaching the Word of God, it's, it's Christ's voice that matters and it's not us. It's His Word. It's His Word. Preach the Word. And nobody knows greater than Christ. He knows the feeling of our infirmities. Whatever we've all experienced, He knows it. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jew a stumbling block unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, in the wisdom of God, it's His Word. Because the foolishness of, God, foolishness of God is wiser than men. God is wiser than all of us. It's His Word that we preach. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when we reject the message of the Gospel, we're not rejecting the messenger, but the message and the author of the message, which is Jesus Christ. Jews and Greeks, it means that uh, we preach to all. We don't preach man's opinion but God's truth. And it is the truth that sets people free. So, CRT theory, for that reason, uh, it is, is, leaves out the part, the spiritual part, which is the answer to man's problems. God has a solution to spiritual problems. So, it may sound good, but it's contrary to the Word of God. Now, if you're a victim of prejudice and racism, Get this, don't fall in for the lie of the devil that keeps you and others in bondage, okay? This is something that's been working in my heart for so long that, that, uh, that different lies and different lies of the devil that, that's holding people groups into bondage, into bitterness, into uh, various uh, types of, of uh, uh, anger and hate. And uh, it, it's, it's a lie from the devil and he's a, the greatest oppressor that's ever lived. And so we don't need to know the truth and the truth is Jesus Christ. So now as we get into the message... We're going to look, as I said earlier, that Jesus raised the standard for all relationships. He raised the standards for all relationships, all of them. More accurately, however, is this. So he's not just raising the standard. Okay, and we're going to see this. He didn't just raise the standard. He was putting the standard where it was always supposed to be. Okay, you're going to see that as this gets fleshed out. He was setting the standard, but he was putting the standard to where it was supposed to be all along. So through preaching and parable, we learn what the standard is, who is it to be applied to, and lastly, how it can be met. So one is the standard for all relationships. Now, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you will come to the portion of Scripture that's already been read that speaks about loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. 
Wow, that alone ought to make us go, how can I do that? Love my enemies? That is not natural for any of us to love our enemies. That is not something for any of us to, that comes naturally. So the verse, you have heard, this is Jesus speaking, he says, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, isn't that interesting? He says, you have heard. Where did they hear that from? Because that is not what was written or what was said in the law. But he said, you've heard this. Where did you hear that from? Well, it was a common problem. Get this. It was a common problem. They had misinterpreted Scripture. They had misinterpreted Scripture. So the Jews had misinterpreted it. And so they, they had made their own application based on their own interpretation, which said, well, I can love them, but it's okay to hate my enemy. And Jesus said, no, you've heard that, but that's not true. Leviticus 19.18 says this. This is out of the law. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of my people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. So this was not a new commandment that Jesus was giving. Okay, it was not a new commandment. He was getting, he was repeating it. The problem was not the commandment. We got to understand the problem was not the commandment, but in the application, which we'll see when we get to point two. So Jesus goes on to point how the love of his people, his people, they're supposed to be his people. It was inadequate. It was inadequate. In verse 44, Jesus makes it clear that they are not hitting the mark of love. That the standard that they had created was not the standard that was required by the law. Let me get that. Say that one more time. The standard that they had created was not the, the, the standard that was required by the law. Verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies... He says, you heard this, but here's what I say. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, the Pharisees, they were particularly pious and proud of their claimed obedience to the Levitical law. But Jesus is telling them, you are missing the mark. You are missing the mark. He is only, he was raising the bar because they had lowered it. Have we lowered the bar of what God commands in regards to love? The next three verses helps us to see how the original commandment was misapplied. Now look at this. Verse 45. So that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. He says, listen, if you are to properly represent your Father, know this. God is good to the evil and to the good. He makes the sun and the rain to come upon both. How is that? The just and the just. Everyone, God makes the sun come on the just and the unjust. He makes the rain come on the just and the unjust. He's saying, if, if, if you are representing me and you're claiming that you represent my love, okay, and you are holding that which is good from others, you are not representing me because look at how I have shown goodness to all. So look at verse 46. And we see the mass application. 
Verse 46 says, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? What's he saying there? Well, the publicans were a hated group by the Jews. They were despised. Okay? And they were considered betrayers. They were considered traitors. They, they were corrupt, is what they were considered. They were so hated that they usually hung around with only other publicans. So publicans would only hang around with publicans. Nobody wanted to be seen. They were tax collectors. Nobody wanted to be seen with the publicans. So they could only hang around with themselves. Okay? So Jesus is saying, look, your love is no different than the publicans that just hang around with themselves. Okay? Uh, uh, that the, the, the publicans that you hate, the ones that you think that you're better than, okay, you're no different than them. He says, look, you're just like them. You only love those you're close to. He says, you are no different than the publican. Look at verse 47. And if we salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? What do ye more than others. He's, Jesus, what do you do more than others? What, you, you, you claim to have this greater love, but what do you do more than others? What is different about you? Get this. Christians are supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be different. He says, you're my people. You're supposed to be different, but you're not different. You're just like those you criticize. So he's teaching them. He's saying, don't claim that you have a greater love and that you're more pious when you do the very same thing. Maybe it looks a little bit different, but you're doing the very same thing. Now, if all that didn't solidify what he was saying, Jesus was teaching them, look at the next verse. He says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He says, if you want to claim to obey the law, which the Pharisees do, the Pharisees would be like, oh man, I'm good. You know, I keep the law. I'm, I, you know, I'm not like them. I'm not like those people. I'm not like those people. I'm, I'm, I'm something, you know. Uh, he says, if you want to claim to obey the law perfectly, you better do it perfectly as God is perfect. How many of us can say we've done that? How many of us can say we've done that? None of us can. He, see, it's right here is where he sets the standard. This is the standard. This is the standard right here. Okay? You might be thinking, wait a minute. Nobody's perfect. That's a standard I can't meet. You'd be right. You can't meet that standard. No one can. That's the point. You're going to see but how, how we deal with that later though. Next we see... We see the standard, and it's a standard of love. If the standard of love is to be perfect, which means love everyone, and but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does he really mean that? Who's the standard to be applied to? The standard of love. Love your enemy. Are we well, this is where we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the best illustrations are found in the Word of God. 
The best illustrations are found in the Word of God. So this is where we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We see uh, what we've been talking about. We see what we've been talking about being played out. We see uh, as Jesus teaches this parable about a, a scenario. Uh, and I don't have time to read you the whole parable, okay? but I'm going to summarize it quickly. So in answer to a question that was posed by a lawyer, and this is not a, a, a lawyer like a criminal lawyer, but, a, but this would be an expert in the Mosaic law. There's someone that was an expert in the Mosaic law that knew what the law commanded. And the lawyer asks, asks this question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he asks this question to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus is wise, and he answered the question with a question. You know, being that the lawyer is supposed to be an expert in the Mosaic Law, Jesus asks him this. He asks this. Don't have it up there. He said to the lawyer, he said, he answered, thou shalt love the... He asked the lawyer to interpret what the law says. He asked the lawyer to say, tell me what the law says. Okay, you're asking me a question. What must I do to inherit life? Why don't you tell me? You're supposed to be an expert in the Mosaic Law. You're supposed to be an expert in the Word of God. You tell me, what does it say? Well, and here was the lawyer's answer. He answered said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So he says, that's, that's the answer. That's, that's what you must do. And Jesus said, that's correct. So, imagine that. The lawyer knew what, knew what the Word of God said he needed to do. By the way, this, that is not how you get into heaven. Okay, I just want to clear that up right now. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. It's by faith, by grace through faith that all men are saved. We're all guilty before Him. So there's nothing we can do in it ourselves to, to be saved. So just the very question alone was a problem because he was looking at what must I do to be saved? There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's what Jesus did is how men are saved. It's what Jesus did by paying for our sins on the cross is how, uh, is how, uh, anybody can be saved by admitting you're guilty that you are a sinner and trusting what Jesus Christ did to pay for your sins. And by trusting him and him alone, you can be saved. But, but he knew what the law said though. Okay, And in his mind, the only way to go to heaven is to keep the law perfectly. So he says, okay, all right. So you imagine him now. Jesus says, well, you answered right. That's what the law says. And you can imagine him going, oh, man, I'm in trouble. You're getting sheepish. I don't do that. I'm in big trouble. Okay, so uh, he gets a, he would be a little nervous, you know. you got to love everyone. That's a, well, but then look what he says next. Okay. Look, this is so important right here. Luke 10, 29. Ah, it's this. He says, but he willing, the lawyer, 
willing to justify himself, son to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? <laughs> I gotta love my neighbor. Well, I, who is my neighbor? What was he doing? He was trying to limit its scope. He was trying to bring the standard down. He was trying to drop it. He was trying to find a way out of this. I don't love everybody, so let's try to just change the standard a little bit to fit and meet a bar I can meet. That's what he was trying to do. He's trying to say, I can't meet that bar. Let's lower it down to somewhere where I can meet. He was trying to justify himself. We do this all the time. We try to justify ourselves and prove that we are good people. How do we do it? We take God's word and we lower it down to a standard we think we can meet so we can say, I'm a good person. But the standard that God sets, no one meets. And that's what they were doing, trying to lower the standard. He's trying to say, I can't meet that, so who's my neighbor? Now you imagine him. He's just nervous because he knows he's not meeting the standard. And we do that too. So, now this was not a debate, but a teaching time. So, uh, by the way, don't ever try to debate Christ. Don't ever try to debate Jesus. Don't try to ever get an argument with you. You're going to lose, okay? We need to trust what His Word says. So, uh, Jesus then at this point gets into the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Now, many, many of you know it, but not all. But He tells of a man that was traveling. So, He begins to teach a lesson here. He says, okay, there was a man traveling, and he, he was robbed, and he was severely beaten. And as he lay on the ground, there was a priest that walked by and does nothing. Then there was a Levite that walked by. And when he comes up and sees the situation, he doesn't just do anything. He crosses the road and gets on the other side. And he says, I, you know, I'm not going to deal with this. So he, he goes out of his way to not help. Uh, and so he goes to the other side. Now, the Levites and the priests were the religious people. They were responsible for religious duties at the temple. Uh, but they couldn't be bothered to help this man. But then a Samaritan comes by. This is where context really helps. Now, the Samaritan to the Jews was, uh, they, was, was a half-breed, okay? They were a mixture, okay? That's, that's how they viewed Samaritans. They had disdain for, for Samaritans. But the Samaritan stopped to help and showed compassion. He cleaned up the man. He took him to an inn. He then paid for a night and asked for the bill, and he paid for the, the night at the inn, and he paid for the man, some of the needs. Then he tells the innkeeper, I, I'll pay for any more needs that he has. He went the extra mile to help him. And this was a Samaritan who the Jew, pious Jews, uh, the, that thought they were better than the Samaritans. He's saying, here's a Samaritan stopped. He didn't just help. He went the extra mile. He didn't just do the minimum. He went beyond that. Then, the, then Jesus asked the lawyer a question. Now get this. Notice this question. Jesus turns to the lawyer now after telling him this. He says, which now of these three, which three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Remember the lawyer's question was, who is thy neighbor? But notice this. Jesus didn't ask him if the uh, who the victim was, okay? Uh, that he didn't say who, who was a neighbor to the victim. He didn't say that. 
In other words, he's saying this. He's saying this. You're all worried about, you know, who your neighbor is, who your neighbor is. The question here is designed to say, be a good neighbor. Are you, who was being a good neighbor? In other words, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Don't even ask the question. Just be a good neighbor. That's your role. He, the, the, the man was trying to lower the standards to such a point to, let's limit the scope of this. Who, who my neighbor is? Who, this, this, who do I have to show love to? Who, who do I have to? And Jesus says, just focus on being a good neighbor. Focus on being a good neighbor. You know, we don't know anything about the victim's identity really in this parable. The parable could be called this, the parable of the good neighbor. He was being, the Samaritan was being a good neighbor. Well, who is a good neighbor? What's this? It's the one that meets the needs of those he comes into contact with. It's the one that meets the needs of those he comes into contact with, regardless of race, class, or get this, whatever's happened to us in the past. Being a good neighbor is meeting the needs of others that you come into contact with, regardless of anything that you know about them or don't know about them or what you see. It doesn't matter. People you come into contact with, to be a good neighbor, to show the love of God, to meet the standard is everyone you come into contact with is your neighbor. You say, I can't live up to that standard. I can't do it. You're right, you can't. Which takes me to the last point. How to meet the standard. You know, as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, He said, the law requires perfection. The law requires us to love everyone. You know, we can't do like the lawyer and just, okay, I can't do that, so let's drop the standard and try to find an out. A lot of times that's the approach we take. Let's change the Word of God to, you know, let's take this verse or that verse and reinterpret it to, to, to make us look like we are obedient to the Word of God. So we change the interpretation. We change the application. So, no, that's not the way to deal with it. It's a standard we can't meet. That, that's, that's not how we deal with it. You don't change the Word of God. It, so we have a problem. How can we possibly meet the standard? Again, you can't. You know, Randy, you keep telling me I can't do it. I can't do it. So what's the point? See, all that was to drive us. All this, what Jesus was teaching was to drive people away from their own righteousness to the righteousness of Christ. To drive us from our own righteousness to the righteousness of Christ. Matthew 5.17, don't have it up there, says this, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. So whereas the lawyer was trying to justify himself, trying to prove he was a good person, he was trying to prove that he was a good person, changing the law to a standard he can meet through a new interpretation or a different interpretation, we must believe that we must understand this, that as a believer, we have the righteousness of Christ. That's how you meet the standard. It's not because you can do it. It's nothing within yourself. It's the righteousness of Christ. The moment you get saved, the moment you go and confess, I'm a sinner, and you accept Jesus, receive and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
a amazing trans, uh, uh, transaction takes place. He takes your sin, he nails it to the cross, past, present, future, all your sin, he takes all your sin, then he does this. He gives you his righteousness. He's the one that fulfilled the law. He met the law. He did it, and he through you, you can meet this standard, not you, but him through you. This is the answer. We cannot do it, but Christ can through us. Galatians 5.22-23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, empowers you to live a life pleasing to God. It's through the Holy Spirit and His power. The fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. If you are showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, there is no law that can claim against you. Here's the problem. Now imagine this. A world where everybody is led by the Spirit of God. Guess what? No racism. You say, that's utopia. That's just a pipe dream. Well, guess what? On this, in this lifetime, you're right. But understand this. For matters of injustice which we've all, to, in different ways, have had injustice against us. And so we have our system of justice. But here's God's system of justice. He came to die for the unjust. He came and shed His blood for all of us that are guilty before Him. And by Him, we can all be pardoned and forgiven. That's His system of justice. He came to die for each and every one of us as we are all looked to God and we're all guilty before God. He says, I died for you. And I died for your neighbor. I died for your enemy. I died for everyone. So He satisfied His justice by dying on the cross and paying for our sins with His blood. So by applying the blood to our circumstances, applying the blood to the injustices that happen to us, we can, through the power of Christ, continue to live on. With our own system of justice, we demand retribution. We, just, we, demand, uh, we de demand that people pay. Jesus paid for all injustice on the cross. Do we see that? And you say, okay, but I still live in this sin-cursed world. It's hard. Yes, it is hard. It requires faith. It requires living for Christ. It requires living for eternity. It requires trusting Jesus to do it Jesus' way and not our way. When we do it our way, we get man's solution, man's, man's uh, uh, results. But when we do it God's way, we get His results. But understand this, even with all that, it's not going to be perfect until when? Until Jesus Himself comes and sets all things straight when He comes and sets His kingdom up on this earth, which is happening in the future. When He sets up His kingdom, there will be a whole new justice system. He will be on the throne ruling differently than things are ruled today. But not until that day, we got to do it His way, and He tells us how to do it. And one day, when we see Him in the air, He'll take us up, and someday He'll come back and set up His kingdom here, and He will rule with an iron rod. And it will be much different. You say, well, why doesn't he do something now? We know by the word of God, he has done something now. He died on the cross. He lives within you. He says, do this. Do it my way. Look for my coming. Live for that day. And then know this. One day I will set things right. The unjust that refuse to repent. The unjust that have, have, re, that have refused to 
trust me as their Savior. Those one day, they will not be in the Ram's book of life. They'll be thrown to the lake of fire. He says, leave room for my wrath. Don't take it into your own hands. Trust Jesus. The question is this, are you walking in the Spirit? This is what concerns me with these different theories that come along. They try to get us to go according to man's wisdom, as we saw earlier, as opposed to God's wisdom, which is much superior to any of our wisdom. We need to live according to God's wisdom and what He says. Even when we say, I don't understand it. We don't understand it because we're not God. So we need to trust Him. So you may be thinking, Brandon, you haven't mentioned racism much through this. Well, that's the point of the whole message. The standard does not take into account race or what we see. It's not that. It's looking to Christ. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. So the message applies regardless of race, get this, or circumstance. The standard does not change. So, God's answer to racism, trust me, don't rely upon your own knowledge, your own understanding. Get into my word. See what I have to say. Walk in the Spirit. Love those as I have loved you. That's His answer. But we've got to do it His way. And unashamedly, preach His word. Draw others to Christ. That is the answer. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have answers, Lord. You are the truth, Lord. Lord, I know it's hard at times to live in this world. Lord, as we deal with injustice, Lord, we deal with people that hurt us. We deal sometimes with people that hurt us over and over and over again, Lord. But I'm thankful that life isn't all just about what we see today, Lord. Life is about eternity. Lord, I know that if life was about just what we see, there'd be no hope. You tell us, Lord, there's hope in Christ, Lord. One day, You will come for Your people, Lord, and You will take us into heaven with You, Lord. Help us to live for that day. Help us to have the faith to live for that day. Help us to live for the day that we will sit all in the judgment seat of Christ before You, Lord. Help us to live for that day, not for what we see today, Lord. Lord, help us to apply this, Lord. Help us to love one another. Help us to love without prejudice without uh, preference, Lord, but just to show the love of Christ, Lord. Lord, we thank You for the great salvation that we have through Christ. Thank You for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank You for uh, loving the world, Lord. We thank You so much for all that You do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if God is working in your heart and you would just like to come and pray, uh, during the, the, the invitation, I would invite you just to come and just uh, talk with God. How many here would say, I want to show the love of Christ to those I come into contact with with this week, but I know I can't do it. I need God's help. Would you raise your hand? Hands all over. I believe this 
That's what the world needs is the love of Christ. The love of Christ would shed abound in our hearts, overflow to the world. We could change this world. How many would say, I've been hurt before. I've had injustice against me, but I'm having trouble forgiving. Is there anybody like that would uh, ask for prayer? Several hands. Please pray for those that are suffering injustice. That's one thing you can do. That's one, one uh, uh, way you can show love to people is pray for them. Is there anybody here that say, I don't know the love of Christ. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Uh, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that is here today that does not know for sure that they are on their way to heaven? 